0: Hello everybody, great to have your company again and welcome to another episode of the Myth Pilgrim where today we explore once again the beautiful image of the dragon. Some of you may remember episode 4 where I interviewed Father Tony Schick and how he explored how the dragon is a very good image of anger and understanding um, the growth of our relationship with anger. Well, today by exploring DreamWorks How to Train Your Dragon, we're going to be using the image of dragon to understand and unpack fear, particularly the greatest fears that we have. Because those of you who've seen this beautiful, gorgeous animation will probably agree that one of the main themes could well be understood as um, the main character and the the village of the main character of Hiccup, this young viking boy, of how they learn to um, recognize and to master their greatest fear, which is of these dragons that keep on pillaging and attacking their town. Now I personally think that this story, the whole journey of it is a beautiful image um, for us for reflecting on our relationship with fear, particularly the fears that we are not even aware, are conscious, that are acting on our lives and preventing us from living a fully free, flourishing life. So therefore, I I was hoping this episode to, rather than doing sort of like, okay, I'll summarize the story and then break open the themes, um, I'll do it in more of a sort of like a guided retreat mode, where I sort of walk you through the story in different sections, and then have pauses in between for reflection. Um, Because I think this episode will work best if we actually, in some senses, journey with and through our own fears, and to recognize what are they? Like if I was to ask you right at the start of this episode, what do you think your greatest fear is? What's the one thing that's bound you up in anxiety in sort of hiddenness, you know, into a shell? Or, or what's the one thing that, gosh, once people know that about me or find out that about me, I'm ruined, you know, sort of thing. And of course, just as importantly, what would my life be like if I were to be able to master this fear, this greatest fear? Now, if you are beginning to recognize some of those dragons in your life, you're in good company because a mega theme in the Bible, in the scriptures, in our faith is very much characters learning to master their fear, to walk with God through their fears. You've got like Moses, who was raised as a prince, you know, glory and honor and wealth and everything. He was he was terrified of speaking in public so much so he almost threw away his vocation as the prophet, as the deliverer. Then you've got your like great kings, you know, like King Saul, who was just like paranoia.com, you know, people people favoring King David over him and him pretty much losing his mind, going into a kind of a mental crisis, you know, trying to work out exactly how does he feel about this, about David. And then the list goes on and on, you know, like Peter, you know, first meets Jesus, away from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Okay, let's begin um, with the first little section of the story, uh, and then we will journey forth from there. A skinny, awkward uh, Viking boy named Hiccup lives in the village of Berk. Now, the village has been around for ages, but it has a big problem. It is always being attacked by dragon raids who periodically come and steal all their sheep and cows and set things on fire. But while every other viking around him seems hell-bent on fighting dragons and heroism and exercising their brute strength, young Hiccup's strength lies in his creativity, he was much more brains than brawn, so to speak. Then during one particular night time dragon raid, uh, despite being told to run inside because he's too weak and pathetic to help out, Hiccup instead courageously hauls out one of his big mechanical slingshots, like he likes tinkering and making things. And using it, he actually shoots down a Night Fury dragon from the sky. Now the Night Fury were considered the most scariest and dangerous dragons of all because they shot plasma and they were so fast and swift you literally couldn't see them. So this dragon, this Night Fury, lands in the woods some distance from the village. And then when Hiccup says he hit a dragon, no one believes him. Instead, his father, his name is Stoic, also the chief of the village, is disappointed at his son for getting in the way and making a nuisance of himself and signs him up instead for dragon-fighting training. Because, as I mentioned, vanquishing dragons is an all-consuming activity in the village of Stoic, and even the initiation towards manhood was determined by whether a young person, a young man, could actually uh, ceremonially kill a dragon in front of other people. Yeah, so Stoic, the chief, signs his son up, Um, For training and so Hiccup along with a ragtag bunch of peers including his childhood sweetheart Astrid who wants nothing to do with him (laughs) They begin learning to fight dragons In the meantime Stoic sets out with a bunch of his strongest men on a voyage to go and look for the fabled dragon nest Figuring that if they destroy the nest they can put an end to this dragon village war once and for all Okay, so a brief pause here just to reflect on what we have just read Consider how the entire town's existence, their life, is built around the fear of these dragons, right? Like, it's the, it's the one thing that's keeping them from thriving as a community. They worry about the next attack, they plan for the next attack, you know, how to find the dragon nest, and so forth. School, as far as we can see from the movie, is all about recognizing dragons, naming them, and knowing their weaknesses, and so forth. So while this village still fears these dragons, it binds everyone up and they become sort of obsessive, all-consuming about them. They can't even imagine what life could look like if there was no dragons limiting them. You know, the fact that they could be great explorers, uh, farmers, craftsmen, you know, uh, astrologers even. So it goes with fear in our lives, because often we're so used to living with a fear, we don't even realize how much it's consuming and structuring the way that we live our lives. You know, I can share a little bit vulnerably here in that, despite the fact that I'm doing now a public podcast, I had terrible, terrible social anxiety for many, many years. And even now, I'm not out of the woods yet, right? Like, I mean, I learned social skills, I learned self-knowledge, kind of working out my triggers, all that kind of stuff, which is really important. But for a long time, even when someone invited me out to a party, you know, just a casual party, no expectation, no, no leadership or anything, I would almost literally walk around in circles going, I should go, but I don't want to go. But, uh, you know, I've got this other work, this creative art stuff I can do at home, which I much prefer, but then at the same time, you know, I should reach out and grow and be courageous. And I was like, this whole all-consuming thing. Until I worked out, until I recognized, okay, underneath social anxiety is something else about being discovered as being flawed, about being weak, Okay Now this is a whole other episode I can talk about this journey. But I raise that example just to um, illustrate how fear can actually bind and in many ways cripple um, how I interacted with the world, um, how I engaged with work, with colleagues, with meeting new people with my sports club, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So dear listener, all of this is to help um, frame the question back to yourself. What is your dragon? What is the worry, the anxiety that consumes you so much that it may actually structure and frame your life in such a way um, that you've become used to, that could otherwise be quite different, quite unrecognisable even? Okay, back to the story. So remember how I mentioned Hiccup had shot a dragon out of the sky? So well, the next day after training, he calculates the location the dragon might have fallen and ends up finding him in a canyon. As it turns out, the Night Fury was still trapped in the net that Hiccup had fired from his catapult. Oh, I should mention his contraption wasn't like a a spear or like an arrow, it was actually like a massive net that was designed to capture the dragon. So anyway, a terrified Hiccup slowly approaches this trapped and dangerous dragon and he takes his knife out. The dragon growls when he sees Hiccup approaching him, but being being helpless in a net seems resigned to his fate. But just as Hiccup raises the knife for the killer blow, he falters. Seeing the scared, helpless look of the dragon, something deep within Hiccup identifies with it, and to the surprise of both himself and the dragon, he finds himself cutting the net and freeing it. The dragon immediately pounces on Hiccup and starts baring his teeth, but when the dragon sees the scared look on Hiccup's face, the dragon begins to identify himself in the the poor boy. And so it ends up just roaring and then flies off, leaving a very grateful Hiccup um, still alive and a bit shaken, but okay. Okay, so this is their first bonding moment. But then over time, long story cut short, Hiccup realises that the dragon, who he eventually names Toothless, um, is stuck in the valley pretty much. Because one of the dragon's tail fins was wounded, ripped off, and he couldn't fly properly or navigate. So in light of this, Hiccup begins to secretly look after the dragon, to feed it fish and to observe its preferences and so on and so forth. He secretly visits his new acquaintance um, between the dragon killing sessions back at home and begins to pay close attention to the dragon's habits and personality. The two unlikely individuals begin to grow in trust of one another. And one day Hiccup is inspired to use his ingenuity to make a prosthetic tail fin out of leather to give to the dragon. So he makes it and carefully ties it onto Toothless's tail. He immediately finds the new fin sort of helpful, but he can't quite control it yet, and, in, and then he inadvertently takes Hiccup on a bit of a wild ride, crashing into things and all sorts of things. But this gives Hiccup a clear indication of sort of what adjustments needs to be made to the tail fin in order to enable his new friend, the dragon, to be able to fly again. Okay, another brief pause here. You know, when I was a kid, I was absolutely terrified of moths. I, like, I just thought something about something about their color, um, the fact that they make that, you know, that sound. You know, like if there's one in your room and somehow moths used to always end up in my bedroom. I no idea where the cracks were in my room, but I was terrified of these things. So just looking at it just sent me into shivers and, yeah, I just couldn't be in the same room. And then it was maybe, I would have been about 10 or 12. I had this really strange intuition. Could have been a Holy Spirit moment where... I still was terrified of moths, but there was one about the size of a 50 cents piece um, sitting on my desk. I think it might have been quite old because it wasn't fluttering around like the other moths. Um, I dared, I was somehow drawn to look at it very, very closely, to kind of lean in. And what I observed was actually quite startling. It was extraordinarily beautiful, right? I could see all the details from, you know, from its eyes to those beautiful little antennas that are so delicate, it looks like two, you know, miniature feathers and they're sort of waving around and seeing the the, and seeing the symmetrical spotted patterns on the wings. You know, I'm like, wow. In a moment of gazing at the thing I feared most, I realized, oh, I don't know, if I thought this at that time, but something within my spirit said, well, if God made something this beautiful, this delicate, and he cares for it so much, it can't necessarily be a bad thing. It can't be that bad, right? And just like that, my fear of moths just disappeared. I even went, believe it or not, I even went to pick it up. <laughs> I did not, not pick it up as in like fingers, but to put it on my palm, just to look at it even more closely. And funnily, the moth in cooperation did. It just hopped on my arm, on my palm, and I looked at it even more, and I took it outside. And from that day onwards, if there's ever a moth fluttering around, interrupting scared sisters or ministries, I would, I'm very happy to actually turn my hands into a cup and to transport the beautiful moth outside. Okay, so why did I share this story? Because there is something really important about gazing and curiously looking at one's fear in order to master it. I deliberately have used the word mastering fear rather than conquering fear, because conquering implies that you sort of like vanquish it and it's gone, right? Um, Now that might have been the case for the moth because it's a a small thing, Um, but there are other types of fear in our lives that can't simply be conquered or just gotten rid of. You know, things like past traumas and memories and even just worrying about one's loved ones. Um, We can't just get rid of such fears, but we can master them. Uh, in the sense that we can learn to be reconciled with the fear and still be functional, still be faithful uh, through it. And this is not least because Jesus himself showed us that this was possible, like, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, On this point, have you ever considered how strange it is that Catholics carry around the symbol of the crucifix? It's as if the central symbol of our faith is always reminding us to gaze upon the one thing we are most afraid of, Now, the cross can represent many different things to many different people, but let's say it represents death, suffering, failure, rejection, loneliness, the effects of sin. These are all a part of the cross and are captured by the cross. And yet, our faith is like, here's the symbol of all these things and more. Look at it. Gaze upon the one who was rejected, a failure, who experienced death. By God Himself entering the very things we are most afraid of, we can be assured that He is no stranger to them and indeed meets us in those very things today. Gaze upon the cross and we may be surprised to find that God's answer to our particular fear is simply His presence. For who would have thought that by hiccup gazing at a night-fury dragon, you know, the thing he feared most, that he would meet his best friend. And further, gazing into our fear can reveal profound truths hidden in that fear, things we otherwise simply wouldn't see when we're sort of preoccupied with running away from fear. The great psychologist Carl Jung once said this, a quote, The thing you most need will be found in the place you least want to look, I'll repeat that. The thing you most need will be found in the place you least want to look. Uh, like that example I raised earlier about being socially anxious, it was only when I began to look into my fear and, with good support around me, to revisit sort of past scary scenarios, did I discover the real treasure hidden in that fear. And that was me realizing that being imperfect didn't actually make me less relatable to people, but in fact more relatable. My limitations as a man actually encouraged real connection and love, and not and was not after all a social repellent, which is what I was afraid of. When I realized this truth, my crippling social fear began to dissipate, and I could slowly learn to expand my world again with this newfound truth. The Bible does say the truth will set us free, and so often the most freeing truths we can discover are found in the places we least desire to look. So after a series of workshops and test flight scenarios, Hicke builds the perfect dragon saddle, a control mechanism for the tail fin and a safety harness. Then there is a magnificent sequence in which dragon and boy do a full test ride leaping off a cliff. And in this beautiful maiden flight sequence which takes them soaring into the clouds across the seas and in between mountains, they learn to trust one another. For even Toothless, the dragon needed to learn to fly again with his new prosthetic tail fin. And of course, Hiccup just needs to learn how to fly a dragon, period, because no one in their history has ever thought of doing something that crazy. It's terrifying, exhilarating, and freeing, and just so beautiful. Naturally being Hiccup, uh, he initially came with a sort of cheat sheet for himself to follow so that he could technically know when the fin positions would work best, at what angle and what wind speed and all that kind of stuff. But then in one terrifying moment when Dragon and Rider felt they were losing control, there's that beautiful moment where their bond had become so strong that Hiccup decides to throw away even the cheat sheet, and to just fly with the Dragon purely on gut intuition. And they soar off again, freer and faster than ever. Dragon and Rider had become one. A small detail to add to the story here is that through a series of slightly complicated events, um, Hiccup manages to convince his childhood sweetheart, Astrid, for a ride upon Toothless. In what would be equivalent to Aladdin's whole new world scene, the dragon boy takes his princess on a romantic ride, and in that time, she is able to let go of her own prejudice towards dragons, and also her prejudice towards the skinny viking boy Hiccup. They fly on serenely for some time, simply enjoying the scenery and for the first time, each other's company. Just as importantly though, in that flight, they actually discover the location of the dragon nest, and realise exactly why the dragons keep on attacking their village. As it turns out, the dragons themselves only stole the cows and the sheeps not for their own eating purposes, or to annoy the villagers, but rather in order to appease a big bad dragon that's sort of keeping all of the little dragons hostage. Apparently if they don't feed the big bad dragon, he'll in turn eat them and so all the raids they do upon the village of Berk is really done out a little choice, like they want to survive. So armed with this new knowledge, and one that could potentially change this forever dragon village of war, Astrid and Hiccup return home. But not before a much more mellowed Astrid shows affection for Hiccup and gives him a little peck on the cheek. If the storyline of this movie was lame, Hiccup would only sort of experience such a freedom scene when he kills the dragon, and when he is finally free from its looming, threatening presence. But the film is profound precisely because it's the mastering of the dragon, and not the slaying of the dragon, that rewards him this freedom. In a likewise way, we needn't vanquish and abolish fear in our lives in order to be free of it. Rather, the virtue of courage comes instead from mastering fear, to be reconciled with it, and dare I say it, to even befriend it. But I also want to offer you that when we're able to face and master our fear, other things automatically fall into place. It's like the stru- if the structures of our life begin to change, and as I mentioned before, fear can really structure our lives in a negative way. But when that begins to change, other things, other important parts of our lives begin to fall into place. For example, with Hiccup, he's able to find the means to connect with Astrid, his desire, his heart's desire, right? And and of course, through this whole sequence of both Astrid and Hiccup um, coming to reconcile their fear of dragons, they discover the most important fact of all. Um, the dragon nest and also the motive of why the dragons were stealing um, all their food and pillaging the village. So again, the mastering of fear not only opens up great vistas, but unlocks great truths about ourselves, about the people around us, about our place in the world, our vocation, right? When we are actually free to see and experience the world as our loving God had always intended it without it being bound up by fear. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. Okay so the final part of the story. So, Hiccup's dreaded uh, dragon-killing ceremony day (laughs) arrives, um, but through his obvious conscientious objection to doing the deed, uh, he creates a bit of a drama, which eventuates with Toothless suddenly appearing on the scene. Naturally, this freaks everyone out, especially Dad, who chains poor Toothless up. Um, So, Hiccup tries to explain that dragons are not evil, and they only attack us to feed the big bad dragon, but in doing so, he actually lets slip um, that Toothless had taken him and Astrid to the dragon nest. And so Stoic, in aggressive Viking fashion, uh, was like, Ah, let's go and destroy the nest. And Hiccup's like, No, you can't do that. Um, But Dad loads Toothless onto a ship anyway and sets off with his uh, band of warriors. There's a big battle as to be expected at at the dragon nest. But Hiccup and Toothless save the day because they are armed now with the weapon that neither dragon or Viking possessed, the bond of friendship. A victory is won and the big bad dragon is defeated. But though Hiccup actually gets wounded in the battle, the entire village is in debt to both the boy and his dragon, because through their friendship, the two sides of the war are now reconciled and exist in harmony. The final shots of the film show the dragons and mankind living, playing together, flying together in a freedom that neither side had ever thought was possible. Okay, so that's the story. Uh, The final reflection I'll leave for you is that our journey of mastering our fear doesn't just benefit ourselves, it has a ripple effect, a ginormous ripple effect on our communities and enables us and equips us to inspire and guide others on that same journey. So the practical pilgrim exercise for you is quite simple. It's sort of based on hopefully the reflections you've already been making as you've journeyed through Hiccup and um, Toothless's journey today. And it's simply to write down what could life look like if I could master the fear of X. Y, Z, you know, however many. Maybe start with one. Start with your big fear, you know, and invite the Spirit of God into this process. You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, the Scriptures tell us, to live free and flourishing Christ-like lives that make even the beautiful soaring dragon scenes um, pale in comparison. (laughs) Okay, so I'll leave that exercise with you, and I'll certainly keep you all in prayer as you go on this really important uh, but very rewarding journey. Uh, Till next time, journey forth. Take care, and God bless.